We can't slow down. If this podcast goes less than 50 miles per hour, it's going to go right off the rails and onto the sea. You see? Pop quiz, hotshot! We're talking about speed and speed to cruise control. Miles, we're back with oh, yeah. some more franchise follies as we get into another half-planned sequel situation. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the fun things is looking back on, especially on these, these like two film franchises, is you can see the building blocks there for something that you could have had at least three or four movies, and then everything just going drastically wrong, which is definitely what happened here with Speed. And Speed's a movie that I was excited to look back at because I don't think I had seen this movie in at least 15, 20 years. Same. There were plenty of parts of it. Like, I, we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, there are parts of that movie, the framing device of the entire thing, that I did not remember at all. Oh, yeah. I mean, I honestly forgot that Jeff Daniels was in this movie. Same. Same. Same, same, same. But, uh, uh, so Speed's... Oh, go ahead. Well, let's get into it. So, yes, we're again, we're talking about franchise follies, the franchises that either failed midway or failed to launch at all. Uh, and we're talking about speed and speed to cruise control, which. Oh, love it. Baby. I love it. I, I, it's got a direct video title. I love it. I mean, a lot of a lot of movies, especially of that time, all of these had these kind of punny kind of subtitles. But. I mean, Speed 2 Cruise Control is just asking to be bad. I, <laughs> it's great. Um, so Speed's origins began when screenwriter Graham Yost, who, <laughs> as Drew found out before recording this podcast, was a main series writer for Nickelodeon's Hey Dude. I've been singing that theme song in my house for two days, not knowing this connection. It um, was, it was a great, right now. great serendipitous moment. Um, he was thinking about 1985's uh, Runaway Train with John Vaught, misremembering the fact the train did not have a bomb placed on it, but he remembered it, and so it got the, the juices going and thought he would prove upon the concept that didn't really exist by writing a screenplay about a bomb being placed on a bus and being unable to go a certain speed. Initially, the script for speed took, in, took place entirely on the bus, and it was honestly a little simple the bus would have driven around dodger stadium just because of the ability for the bus to drive around in circles there and it would have eventually somehow culminated in the bus running into the hollywood sign and destroying it cinematic magic <laughs> wonderful wonderful uh, paramount pictures was interested and wanted john mctiernan who directed die hard the predator not the predator but predator because the predator is now a different movie <laughs> a, a director, I, I've, I've seen all of them so I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about he <laughs> wanted John McTiernan to direct and he declined because he thought it was too similar to his prior work so he suggested a, a filmmaker named Jan de Bont uh, so Jan de Bont is 
known as a director, but he is also known more for his director of photography roles. So he is he's the cinematographer and director of photography for a bunch of action films, including Die Hard. Paramite did eventually pass on this movie, thinking audiences wouldn't sign up for a two-hour movie that took place entirely on a bus. Uh, and I can't really fault them for that, because by that original script, if it's just like driving around Dodger Stadium, which is... You got to think a big cheat, (laughs) even though they kind of use that concept in this movie. How boring would that be? Yeah. I mean, it's it's very, very low stakes or the highest stakes. Anyway, Yost took the script to Fox, who agreed to produce the film, uh, provided that there were action sequences that take place in locations other than the bus. So to kind of improve on the existing script that Yost wrote... Uh, DeBont brought in Joss Whedon to punch up the existing script, uh, which is, you know, a little bit ironic considering the claims about Whedon now with uh, Justice League. But Yost claims that Joss Whedon wrote 98.9% of the dialogue. We were very much in sync. It's just that I didn't write dialogue as well as he did. So included in Whedon's contributions is the famous pop quiz hotshot line, as well as reconfiguring roles of basically every single prominent character and changing Jack from a maverick hotshot to the polite guy trying not to get anybody killed. And so it kind of took away a lot of his glib dialogue and made him a little bit more earnest, which I think did help the film. And, and reading about how he changed certain characters around, it may, I definitely can see this was the right call and it made for the movie being more interesting. Yeah. So prior to the character of Jack getting cast as Keanu Reeves, or Keanu Reeves getting cast as Jack, The studio considered Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson. Uh, Oddly, Stephen Baldwin was their first choice. I don't see that at all. Well, keep in mind, this is back in 1993. I I get that. But like even then, like, I mean, I know he had done some some solid movies in the early 90s. But as first choice. Like when you're when you're when you're consider when you're in this entire pool of talent, even then, I I still can't conceive of Baldwin. I mean, being the first choice, and I like some of Stephen Baldwin's stuff. I really, really do. That's just that one. When writing that out, I I was kind of chuckling a little bit. It's Stephen Baldwin's daughter married to to Justin Bieber now. I think so. <laughs> that's that's not at all related to speed or speed to cruise control. So let's get back to it. So uh, the filming for the movie took place over three and a half months, and this is uh, this is one of the the more interesting things and one of the the sadder, but also not like it's it's. Let me just say what I'm trying to say here. So during yeah. the filming of this movie, River Phoenix passed away. River Phoenix, uh longtime actor, child actor who had grown up, who also happened to be really close friends with Keanu Reeves. And Keanu Reeves, basically, Jan DeMont shut down filming and rescheduled everything to give Keanu a chance to grieve, basically. Yeah, because he said that he would he would have to, like, really build himself up to make takes and that he's he wasn't emotionally there, especially for for making an action movie and you're mourning the loss of a friend. It's it makes for a, a messed up headspace. So, I, I mean, I'm glad that they gave Reeves that time because this could have made for a very, very troubled production if they didn't, I feel like. And, and honestly, that's one of those things that 
you don't often hear about Hollywood taking care of its people in this way, in this capacity. And I don't know, that was, it was kind of, I don't want to use the term heartwarming, but it just made you feel a little good. Yeah. Just a little bit, just a little bit. You were just like, all right, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, So going beyond that. So many of the practical effects uh, in this film, uh, such as the the bus jumping from one end of a of a highway to the other were done without the use of models with practical effects in earnest. Uh, the particular jump was done with nearly everything removed from the bus. The driver in a special. So if you guys remember speed and the big climactic bus jumping across the gap in the highway, there was a guy driving that bus that was in a harness in the bus. Not a seat, but a harness, because he was going to bounce around so much to absorb the shock, jumping and hitting that ramp. Uh, and and <laughs> and a ramp, let's be honest, because they don't show a ramp, but if there was no ramp, that wouldn't have, have worked at all. Mythbusters proved that. The, film, the shot in the film would not be possible without a ramp. Uh, but as part of that, going back to going back to to the the River Phoenix uh, uh, situation and Keanu coming back, part of that for for Keanu was was working himself up to do stunts. Uh, I don't know the the psychology or the background behind that, but he wanted to do some of his own stunts, and Jan de Bont did not want him to. Uh, so there's a moment where Jack, his character, is supposed to jump from a Jaguar car to the bus itself, and Keanu, we always call him Keanu. I, I know we could call, we should I, call him Reeves, but we call him Keanu. I can't. I, Keanu is just something so familiar to me. And he, everyone he, knows he has, exactly who you're talking about when you say Keanu. Well, he also has that inviting, warm personality. I mean, he's so like, yeah, he's he's Keanu. I'm sorry, he's Keanu. So, if I met him in real life, I would call him Mr. Reeves probably, and you'd probably tell me not to. I, I would probably be like, huh, 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 and he'd he'd put his hand on my shoulder, or he'd do like a little look or something, and all of a sudden, I just feel happier. Anyway, so uh, so <laughs> Keanu practiced the stunt himself and insisted on doing it, and actually filmed the stunt on set that day. I'm not sure how he pulled this off, whether Jan DeBont just thought that there was the stunt guy there. Yeah, I'm not sure how that happened either. <laughs> but finding out about it, DeBont was horrified. <laughs> Understandably. <laughs> yeah. And other than that, the the there was nothing a lot of, uh, super chaotic about, about the production. And Speed was released on June 10th, 1994 to rave reviews and excellent box office numbers. It currently holds a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. And in his four out of four star review, Roger Ebert said, films like Speed belong to a genre I call bruised forearm movies because you're always grabbing the arm of the person sitting next to you. Done wrong, they seem like tired replays of old chase cliches. Done well, they're fun. Done as well as Speed, they generate a kind of manic exhilaration. And so with, with, with stuff like that, I mean, the movie had this perfect storm of being the right action movie at the right time. And the movie went on to make $350 million worldwide on a budget of 30. Which is uh, so a this is a tremendous success. Yeah. I mean, for an action movie to have such high regard critically, as well as the the word of mouth, I mean, that it, it really is a perfect storm. And this is also coming at a time 
where action movies were a little bit on the decline, the big action movies of the 80s, which are almost a subgenre themselves, which gave us, you know, Schwarzenegger, Seagal, um, Stallone, they were kind of on the the downward spiral, most of these kind of movies going direct to video. So a movie like speed wasn't necessarily a home run. And I know that there were, there were popular action movies peppered throughout the, the nineties, the action movie never goes out of style, but the kind of action movie that speed was, was starting to dwindle a little bit. And so this is what makes speed so much more, of a massive thing because not only do you have critics backing it, you have the audience also backing it and it's, it ends up being this huge success. And so going back to this, Drew, do you get it? Like, do you, do you, do you think that this movie deserved to be the success it did? This movie is a ton of fun. And honestly, we need to mention a particular cast member that we have not done. So, so far, uh, Sandra Bullock as Annie is, 50% of this movie. She, mm-hmm. she, I'll be honest, I'm a Sandra Bullock fan. I like Sandra Bullock. I like, especially the Sandra Bullock of the era where she was just kind of, she, she the had, hapless girl in action movies, like it, the it, net. She just had, she had more of like a, 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 a spunky personality. She would just, she would be as quick to laugh about something as she would to have a biting comment about something. It was, she, and I think she really works in this film as the, the person forced to drive said bus, uh, because the driver gets shot. And, uh, also speaking of which I got another thing to talk about in a second. I just, and I just think she works really well here. There is only one aspect of this movie that I really actively dislike. Obviously the romance. Yes, that's it. Yeah, it makes no sense. It's one of those things that it felt tacked on. It felt like they needed to to do something like that. Well, it did, and I understand some adrenaline kind of informed decisions by the characters, but they never feel natural. And, and it's not that the two actors don't have chemistry; they do. But the, the writing, whether it was Yost or Whedon, but it just it felt like the studio was like, "Oh, we have to have these two marquee stars together." And I love that they have the line in the movie where, uh, oh, what is? I'm just, I'm going to butcher the the quote here. Um, they say that oh, that, relationships born out of extreme circumstances uh, rarely yield success, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise, as we get to speed too. But uh, I like I love that they use that as a uh, sort of haha, da da, and then we find out in speed two that it's true. But um, <laughs> another thing that I want to say about this movie is that there is a lot of setup done to this movie that's done early on that I really, really appreciated. So I'm. I am legitimately shocked at the amount of time this movie takes to build everything up. It's 24 minutes of an opening scene. Like the whole elevator shaft sequence, which, oh man, let me talk about the longest freaking uh, main sequence in an action movie is the, the three minutes of going down this elevator shaft with these this weird Terminator ripoff score playing. I didn't appreciate that so much, but the actual the actual buildup is great because it establishes the characters. It it also establishes a villain who you've already seen get bested by Jack, and it just I don't know. It's I think this particular situation is very unique to Speed because unlike Die Hard, you know John McClane didn't arrest Hans Gruber prior, you know, 
Because I mean, I, I I get a lot of the diehard uh, kind of comparisons, and a lot of people didn't do this movie because they felt there were some diehard similarities. But sure. I feel like this is a very very different film, or at least it became that in production. Yes, which um, which happens. Uh, but but the thing I wanted to point out is that there is a moment in this movie where the driver of the bus at the at the start of the movie gets shot by a passenger on the bus as part of all this stuff going down. And eventually a cell phone is revealed and they start communicating with the cell phone and the, the mad bomber character who was played by Dennis Hopper at peak crazy. Uh, it's great. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, but he mentions offhand uh, to, to the characters that, you know, like cause, cause they eventually let some people get off the bus um, and they let, all right, you can get the driver off the bus, but you got, you got to leave the, you got to leave the girl and you got to leave all this and da, 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 da. And it's just this offhand comment in the movie and nothing is made of that comment for. Oh yeah. 45. Cause he calls her a wildcat. Well, the wildcat happens later. I think he calls her, I don't know if he calls her a wildcat the first time, but he does call her a wildcat the second time, which is when, which is when, uh, Keanu Jack figures it out. But, uh. But and that was one of those beautiful moments where it's like they set up this thing so early. And if you catch it, you catch it. And if you like, I knew I, I caught it then because I know that there is a camera trick that they use on the bus later on in the movie because I've seen this movie before. But seeing it the first time uh, in, in years and years and years, it's like, oh, wait, they're setting up that he's got a camera and he's been watching the whole time in this very subtle way that I think worked so well. I don't know. I, 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 am I, 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 I agree. I, I think that... Um, I think that everything it does, it's not that it's hyper clever, it's just it's smart enough that it, it, it doesn't treat its audience like they're idiots. And I enjoy that. And and for the time, the kind of twists that it pulls out feel genuine. And I mean, I also I appreciate that this film doesn't rush to a 90 minute ending. I mean, you'll look at your watch a couple of times and be like, oh, man, how much of this movie is left? It's got to be wrapping up. Right. And you realize you have an hour left to go. <laughs> um, but overall, I think this is a really solid action movie. I don't feel like we have to, like, spend a whole time going plot by plot. I mean, there's a bomb on the bus. Keanu Reeves has to figure it out. You know, they save everybody on the bus and there's still 30 minutes of the movie. And it's still it's a fairly satisfying 30 minutes of the movie. Honestly, I don't think it's bad. I forgot that it existed because all I remember was the stuff on the bus. But it is a like we haven't talked about Alan Ruck. We haven't talked about any of the other people on the bus. Alan Ruck, who I mean, has a a, post Ferris Bueller. You don't see him very often. What are you talking about? And you don't captain the USS Enterprise B. Start again. Generations. You, you, you don't see him very often. How often have you seen the Enterprise B? Captain John Harriman. How dare you? <laughs> I mean, I know I like him. I always have <laughs> liked him. But and even here, even though they write him, I know they originally wrote him almost as a bad guy who gets killed. He starts off as this like, yeah, he's kind of a pain in the neck and he's kind of, you know, you're waiting for him to have this turn, but well, he's he's a, of... he's a tourist, which is which is yeah. fun. And I, I and I love and again, this is probably Whedon's writing for the time uh, as 
they're getting to the airport because they figure out that the airport is where they could just drive the bus around. Unlike luckily they didn't go to Dodger stadium. They went to the airport and, uh, and his character just goes, Oh, the airport. And somebody looks at it. And is like, I've already seen the airport. Just, That's a great it's, line. It's a great line. It's this is a this is a fun fun movie that has very few flaws. One of those flaws being the romance, which I just think is tacked on, and the other being Keanu's short hair, which is just weird. It's weird to you now. It's weird, but to throughout me now. most of the nineties, Keanu had short hair in a lot of his films. He had um, he had shorter hair in the Matrix. But I mean, keep in mind his original like breakthrough. Uh, I know you're thinking of, was, you know, yeah, was, Bill and Ted. Was he Bill or Ted test? Ted. I think he was Ted. I don't know. I think he's Ted because <laughs> I always think he's <laughs> Bill because he's the more famous. But I think he's Ted. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to actually we're going to we're going to we're going to uh, pause here and see if if we're right uh, he is Ted. Ted Theodore <laughs> Logan. Bill S. Preston Esquire is Alex Winter. Uh, I, I always freeze about that because I always forget which one's which. I know the personalities, even in the movie, I can always forget which one's Ted. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think this is a really solid movie. I think the movie, especially the way it ends, like again with that romantic tack on some plot, the movie just kind of ends. Like they're rolling around after the the the, the train crashes through uh, metropolitan L.A. and they're kind of giggling and making out, and everyone's kind of clapping that the 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 you know that the whole thing was stopped, and the credits roll. It's just it's really weird because there there doesn't seem to be a period on this film. But that's okay. I actually like that they don't give us a it's little It's okay sometimes, but because it's that really badly ro- done romance, it just the movie ends with a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. I don't you know. know. You I, know what I mean? That 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 I is completely forgivable for me because if they had spent the next five minutes doing a little denouement, I would have been bored and I've been like, all right, let's get to it. Let's get this done. I, I, also see that and 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 speed two ends the exact same way so you know let's get to let's get to the denouement of speed as we talk about what happened next yeah because this is this is the real meat and potatoes i mean we you already know that speed's a solid movie and it yeah it a hundred percent lives up it's a really fun film and i highly recommend if you haven't seen it a while to go back to it so after the critical success and also the commercial success of the first film, Fox wanted to get, you know, immediately to work on a sequel. Uh, though the director considered the first film a one-time story with no sequel potential, uh, Jan DeMont was basically forced to do it because he was contractually obligated to direct it. But he also got a 5 to $6 million salary. Though there were hundreds of submissions for ideas for the sequel, DeBont decided to stick with one based off a recurring nightmare of his concerning a cruise ship crashing into an island. Like you do. Uh, neither original screen, uh, original Speed screenwriter uh, Yost nor producer Mark Gordon were asked to participate in the sequel. And this is an interesting thing. They bandied about with a number of concepts, some of which were bombs on trains if, as we went back, some of which were... I think there was a motorcycle plot that I read about. There was a motorcycle plot. There was one involving like some sort of Vietnam ammunition that would explode if it got wet. There was one about a plane in the Andes, which I thought could have uh, made the, an the plane, movie. the plane that couldn't go below a certain altitude. Yeah, it couldn't go below like ten thousand feet. Which I was like, well, that's actually kind of interesting. I could, I could, 
I could do speed in in the air. Yeah, but Jan de Bont was like, no, but this dream, this dream. <laughs> but the, 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 so this this definitely is like the predecessor to the excess that happens during the making of this movie. Yes. So even though neither star of the first film, uh, Sandra Bullock nor Keanu Reeves, had signed on, uh, had signed any contract for the sequel, Fox just generally assumed they would return. (laughs) (laughs) Bullock declined. She did not, she was not going to do it, but she was talked into it because they promised her financial backing for the drama film that would become Hope Floats, which Which I think think did well. (laughs) It did, it did, it did, it did decently, but I think that's really interesting because this is also a common thing in Hollywood where an actor does do this massive studio film so that they can finance a passion project. Sure. That happens all the time. I mean, basically, without The Dark Knight, you don't get Inception or The Prestige. It, uh, it, it, or without it, Batman. You have to make enough money for them to fund your side project. It happens. Exactly. It happens. So I, I, I totally get the reason that Bullock kind of wanted to negotiate. That makes perfect sense. Keanu, however, Mr. Reeves, I'm sorry, uh, was, he'd just done a few other action films and he had just filmed Chain Reaction, which I think, (laughs) I think I just, I got confused before we recorded tonight with Hard Rain, which was not Keanu Reeves. No, this is the one with Gene Hackman where they discover Cold Fusion, I think. Yeah. Uh, and so he was kind of action movied out and he d- passed on it to star in the devil's advocate. Correct move. Maybe. Uh, uh, that movie made triple its budget and had Al Pacino. Really? It did that well. Okay. Anyway, uh, cost so, 50 made one fifty. I did the research for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so according to, to Keanu after the fact, Fox was furious at his, refusal to do the role and didn't work with him for a decade yeah yeah he he's claimed that they they released like internal trades this propaganda that he refused to the movie to tour with his band and he'll he'll probably do the same to you if you hire him um his band by the way was dog star and i totally had their album when i was in like eighth grade yeah they they would set out this stuff like oh he's only doing this he goes well with his band oh blah, blah, blah. and you know I remember when Dogstar was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Mm. <laughs> I tried to listen to their music like, in preparation for this episode, and I was like, man, it's 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 it it's music. <laughs> I you know, I can't <laughs> I don't remember a single thing that they did. It's, it's just fairly generic. It. There's nothing honestly, there's nothing bad about it. It's just fairly generic. Huh, um, something and, fairly and, generic than <laughs> Let's well, here, yeah, here, here we go. Here we go. But uh, director Jan de Bont said that the character in the sequel wasn't really specific to, to Keanu and could be played by any young actor. Uh, so eventually they got Jason Patrick, a young actor. Yeah, this is pretty indicative, Ted, to, to the making of Speed 2. Because if you're like, oh, yeah, as long as they have um, – chemistry with Sandra, we'll just, we'll do it. I'm like, okay, well, we, we know character means nothing to you. Well, and, and, that's, uh, and that's, this is where, that is something about this where Jason Patrick is probably a little older than I might've gone if I was casting this movie, but 
Sandra Bullock, being the star of the film at this point, wanted to work with him based on a movie that she saw him in back in 1990. Yeah, I mean, well, she had a couple of suggestions that that didn't happen. Like, she really wanted McConaughey, which if this movie had Matthew McConaughey, I think all would be forgiven for me. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, no, I, no, I, if Let's you give me this cruise. I, look, I've seen him do uh, these kind of movies with Sahara and Gold Rush, and I am a hundred percent down for a Matthew McConaughey speed too. That that might have been cinema, cinematic magic right there. Man, that's a uh, that's a, a budget maker right there. <laughs> so, well, especially because you know he he was getting a real hot streak at that time. But, but this is not about McConaughey. Here's really where speed to downfall down, downfall happens. Exorbitant spending. After spending over $55,000 on repairs to local facilities in Miami that they were using for for certain locations, Fox refused to pay the $35 the $35,000 in rental fees to the city of Miami. So the city sued for the rent since Fox did not see approval for the uh, the repairs in the first place. And a compromise was eventually reached where the city credited some of the repair cost, but Fox still had to pay $26,000 in rent. But that wasn't even the half of it. Uh, the Seaborn Legend, which served as the film's cruise ship, was rented for six weeks at a reported cost of $38,000 per day with most of the cast and crew living on the ship for most of the production. And this is something that I just want to point out. The Seaborn Legend was the name of the boat in real life and in the movie. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they didn't do a whole lot of, like, planning with this. And the ship didn't even serve for a lot of the interior scenes. They, they made entire full-scale replicas in... Studio lots in LA and even on set, they had a full, full replica for the bridge, even though they had a fully functional bridge right there. But this Drew, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta talk about this. This is not even the, the creme de la creme of the spending. So, Oh man, how to talk about this. So this film <laughs> this is, this is, this is, this is just beautifully like, I can't believe this happened, but I totally can. Yeah. So, so spoiler warning for the end of speed too. Uh, the ship crashes into an island. And so for this climactic scene of the ship crashing into the island, Jan de Bont wanted to create and destroy an actual town. He didn't <laughs> want to use miniature models or, or CGI because he didn't think that that would feel realistic enough for the actors or the audience. So a $5 million dollar 35 building set was constructed in Marigo St. Martin based on the actual town's local architecture. The production, they actually put the production offices there uh, periodically while they were doing that, which is funny because then they yeah. just destroyed it. But, um, however, unfortunately, they then had to make a second town and also no. make that town hurricane proof now why would they have to do that drew because a hurricane took the first town can you imagine like you've spent five million dollars on this on this village you're proud of it you know you're you're setting up for this big sequence in the other movie and then nature comes in and says nah nah we're just wiping this whole thing out so instead Boom. of using models instead of using cgi what does he do he builds a second town <laughs> 
They then build a scale replica. And when I say scale, it's a one-to-one scale of the front of the ship built on a rail so that they can push this thing through fake town two to destroy it. There's, there's actually, there's production photos of the, of this fake town. And you've got, I think there's even one on the Wikipedia. You've got to see it. I, I, the excess is amazing. I love it. This five minute scene at the end of this movie cost $25 million to produce. About in a quarter in, in 1996 dollars, about a quarter of the entire film's budget. Uh, it is, I, I don't know if it's been surpassed since then, but at the time, it was definitely the largest and most expensive stunt ever filmed. Yeah, <laughs> so Speed 2 was eventually released, uh, to uh, I would like to say not enthusiastic reviews. <laughs> um, the movie came out on uh, July, June 13th, 1997 to a 4% Rotten Tomato score. And like last week's Caddyshack 2, finds itself on many publications' worst sequels of all time lists. A lot of people were making you know, speed puns, off-the-rail puns, or the movie sinks, that sort of stuff. While the film did bring in $164 million worldwide, which is not awful, I mean, objectively, but when you compare it to its ballooned budget, which has estimates going from 110 to 160 million, the consider was the movie is considered a massive flop for the studio. And and before we even get into speed two, after everything we've said, if they could have read looked at their budget and made a smart even even if you were you're doubling the the budget of the first film, even at sixty to seventy five million dollars, you could have at least made some money. Which is interesting because I think there is some CGI in this movie. There there is, but it was used more as a tool and more as background stuff than you know actual when, like when effects. when when the seaborne legend goes up and against and ran and kind of scrapes against the side of the oil tanker it, i mean the oil tanker i think was a real ship but when the seaborne legend scrapes up against it oh, that felt cg to me i don't know if it was well, but well there was definitely some some computer editing in terms of there there was definitely computer generated imaging but whether or not the, the two individual ships were CG, I, I can't say. And it's not that, the, the, that there was no CGI in the film. For, for his big explosive finale, he wanted to show a real ship crashing into a real town. Um, but let's, let's talk about let's, this because it's, it's interesting to me. Oh, gosh. Well, it's interesting to me that the movie did as poorly as it did. And it had to have been word of mouth because Sandra Bullock was on a hot streak at this point. I mean, in 95, she had the net, which <laughs> I was shocked to, 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 to learn was a massive hit. Like, I remember seeing <laughs> it back in the day, but that movie's a big hit. Oh, guess, guess but, what? Guess what, Miles? In three years between the net and Speed 2 or Cruise Control, I'm sorry, two years between those two movies, they, they somehow learned less about computers. Oh, oh. The net is glor. I, I love watching these mid nineties movies about the internet that are that are hilariously wrong. Go back and listen to our hackers episode from a few years ago. Uh, but she also did a time to kill and while you were sleeping. All these movies were were big hits. So I mean, she was a really bankable star at this point. And so you would think 
even even without Keanu, that speed two would at least draw in some people. And again, 164 worldwide is not awful, even at the time. But I mean, to really make a profit in this movie, that, that's the thing against the budget. Yeah, and and this movie, while the first one had a very a relatively really smart script with some of the dialogue being one liner leaning, this this movie and and Dubont said he wanted to have some some more comedy, but I mean it feels like it's almost being a parody of the first film. The opening sequence has Sandra Bullock's character Annie trying to get her driver's license Try for to, some reason. Which well, because because you remember she's lost her driver's license in the first movie. For speeding, which is something you can get back and easily. This, this is honestly one of the things that I have a big complaint about because Annie, Sandra Bullock's character, is never shown to be a bad driver. If anything, she's shown to be a pretty capable driver right. the way she handled that bus. This <laughs> this was just a, a, a an opportunity for Jan DeBont to work with Tim Conway, which I think is respectable in, on a certain yeah, level. but to make a complete joke of the character by pulling off moves from the first m- movie to be like, aha, see, she can't drive unless she's in a high, you know, intense situation. It it, it, it made the character stupid. It started off. I, I immediately started off this movie rolling in my eyes. Yeah, I was not a huge fan of that at all, um, even though I did like seeing Tim, Con- Tim Conway uh, because I like Tim Conway. Uh, so the, so let's I go. I do too. <laughs> I'm going to bullet point the plot for this movie because I feel like it needs it um, before we get into the nitty gritty. So Annie, Sandra Bullock's character, ha- is no longer dating uh, Jack. She is now dating uh, John. No, I'm sorry, Alex. Excuse me. Uh, who's played by Jason Patrick. Changeable white guy names. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and she learns in the opening moments that, oh no, Alex is a cop <laughs> on the same well, on the same squad that Jack was on. Yeah, which th- th- makes no sense. And the whole thing was, is she thought he worked on the police beat and was just basically she a thought glorified it was a, life She goal. thought he was a beach cop. Yeah. Yeah. And... So she's all upset, but then whoo, he's got cruise tickets. And that apparently makes everything better. Yeah. So they go on a cruise and they almost immediately run into the Green Goblin. I mean, uh, Lighthouse. I mean, uh, Willem Dafoe. Uh, I love Willem Dafoe in anything, even even in this movie. Like, you can tell, like, the Willem dude's Dafoe, just there to Willem Dafoe just to, just is to Willem Dafoe is the best part of this movie. He is the only salvageable part of this movie. He knows how to do this role, and I appreciate it. Uh, Well, he knows how to play a villain, and he he even took it because he wanted to be a bad guy again because he had been doing some other roles. And Willem Dafoe has one; he's got a very interesting filmography. But the dude can just basically do whatever he wants. Uh, so with that, (laughs) they go on the cruise, and Willem Dafoe's character turns out. Uh, is the bad guy, uh, and he's going to try to uh, cause an incident to get everybody off of the cruise and then sink the boat so that he can make off with the millions of dollars worth of diamonds that is also yeah, it's, on the boat. It's a weird plan. It doesn't really make any sense. And honestly, it doesn't really seem that profitable. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. There's I have a lot of problems. A, a lot of the problems I have with the bad guy plot are similar to some of the problems I had with bad guy plots in 
uh, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. It feels very much the same. And his whole reasoning feels really silly. And it also doesn't make sense because I think his sickness is not real. Well, so, okay, so th- this is another thing we have to talk about. <sighs> Gang, we have a lot to be worried about because right now you're listening to this podcast on a computerized device. And as you know, as we all know now, in the 20 intervening years between 1997 and 2020, computers give off electromagnetic radiation. And electromagnetic radiation, I know this is not a surprise to anybody, it can cause, as we all suffer from every single day, extreme copper poisoning. So stupid. It's the dumbest thing in the history of dumb things. It's so stupid. It's the stupidest, stupidest, stupidest thing. Well, this is the problem with this movie, because obviously I, I... I was looking forward to rewatching it to maybe like, oh, maybe, maybe I'll enjoy it. Maybe it'd be like one of these trash movies that I love, like Caddyshack 2, like so bad it's good. But it's not. One, because honestly, more than anything, this movie, two hours and five minutes long. It was it feels, only two hours and five minutes long? It feels every second of that two hours and five oh, minutes. So not long. only is it excruciating. The, well, the pacing ex- is excruciating, but the, the everything is paint by numbers silly. Like they have a scene where where Sandra Bullock meets uh, Geiger, which is Willem Dafoe's character, at at the bar at, while everyone's having fun on the cruise, as almost any action movie does. But that's it. They they just do it just to do it. There's never any interaction. Yet somehow Geiger knows Alex because at one point he just starts talking to Alex like he knows him when everything goes down well, in, the, he, in, the, in the same way that Dennis Hopper talks to uh, um, Keanu Reeves character and, and I mean that's 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 only part of it that's, for me yeah, that's it, not even half the problem but everything everything is paint by numbers and nothing is because everyone is is trying to act like Sandra Bullock is a good actress and she's trying to act competently in a bad script. And when you have the two of those, no matter how good the actor is, a bad script can make a good actor look very dumb. And she everyone honestly just involved, looks like she doesn't care most of the time because honestly, she's only doing it for the paycheck and the, the hope floats money. And yeah, I she, she, get wants, it, she wants Sandy. hope floats. Sandy B hope floats. This movie sinks, but hope <laughs> floats. Oh boy. Um, but I mean, and and even even the effects they spent so much more money on. Like, yes, I will say the the ship crashing in to the town is kind of fun, but it's honestly pretty incompetently shot. Like the he's a good director. He did Twister in between these two movies. I know the dude can do action. He did the first Speed, but for whatever reason, that super expensive shot was done in the most boring way possible. Well, I mean, there's so much about this that is informed by better movies. And and again, not in a fun. This movie is not trash. And that's what makes it unforgivable is it's this not movie so is bad just it's good. It's just bad. Yeah. Like the, there were parts where I was like, oh, man, you know, if this was direct to video, I could see myself like having enjoyed it with a different expectation. But 
as the movie went on, it just it drags and drags. And there are things that could have been compelling, like the deaf girl. There was compelling stuff they could have done. I really enjoyed the fact that she was trapped and, you know, she couldn't tell that there was an emergency at first. And and I really enjoyed a lot of the stuff that uh, honestly, Alex, as an action guy, while I think that's um, that was his name, uh, Patrick doesn't necessarily have the acting chops, at least for this movie. It's hard to tell with the bad script, but the physicality stuff, because at look researching this movie, we found out that almost everyone was forced to do their own stunts. Apparently, Sandra Bullock's stunt double worked three days in the movie. Um, and so a lot of these like really challenging stunts they had to do themselves, which I think is where you have the heartwarming part in the first one with Keanu Reeves getting the break because his friend passed. Here it's like we're going to work our actors to almost death. Apparently, uh, I think it's when <sighs> she, there's a there's a scene where Sandra Bullock actually got hit by a boat or something. I can't remember the exact circumstances. Not hit by a boat, but she kind of bumped into something, and um, her co-star had to basically save her. Like there was some kind of life-threatening situations here that. <sighs> Again, physicality, I, I buy the characters, but this movie was not tautly paced. It, the action scenes were not that great. And then we have the villain taken out in a wily e. Coyote way. You know, in, in the first one, it works because we, we get the setup because the script was smart. We see that the lights have gone by before. Keanu Reeves almost gets taken out by himself. So when you have that moment... <laughs> It's great. And then Keanu Reeves has the, yeah, well, I'm taller. It's great. You do not have that in this one. And because Willem Dafoe is a gloriously fun actor and loves getting cartoony and out of this, out of his mind. And the leeches it, and the medicines and all the stuff he and does that, in this don't, movie. Don't get me started on the freaking leeches. It makes no sense. None of that makes any sense. It... Again, things that in other movies would sometimes be like, oh, yeah, this is fun. This movie. I told Drew we were talking about this movie while he was watching it. And I said, the way you feel about Caddyshack 2 is how I feel about Speed 2. And this is where my reputation of, oh, Miles love everything comes comes into a direct halt because I do not love this movie. This movie is bad. And it's like it's and the thing is, it's not like there are decent moments to it. There are like. Django Fett's not bad in this movie. Like he doesn't have a ton. No, of he's not. Like no, none of the actual performances by any of the actors are terrible. That's the I thing. Think, I, I also think you could possibly edit this down into a competent ninety-minute film, and that might do it. Like it's it's not it's not terrible. And there's even a fun cameo at the end of the movie. Oh yeah. Yeah, so we, we didn't mention we the didn't dude mention, from the Jaguar. So, so, so there's a guy that Keanu Reeves in in the first movie pulls a gun to make a guy in a in a in a car stop. Jaguar in a Jaguar stop, and as he drives off, uh, we see the license plate Tune Man, and the two of them work together to get Keanu on the bus. Well, at the end of this movie, who so happens to just have a a boat that he spent one hundred and twenty thousand dollars on in the Caribbean? But the Tune I, Man. <laughs> I love that the Tune Man comes back. It, it, like 
it makes me so happy. <laughs> it made me happy. I liked seeing uh, Mac, the uh, the the leader of the the SWAT team slash bomb disposal squad, whatever, be in both movies as the leader of the teams in both movies. I like those. I like the little cameos, yeah. but it's like it just just <sighs> they have really great puzzle pieces in this movie. But the puzzle that puts together is just a sack of trash. It's a sack of trash. It's bad. I mean, it is. And I, I, I had taken, um, I had taken some notes to for the first one to be like, oh yeah, this this is this is what I want to talk about. You know, this movie. Um, again, but it was mostly stuff that we we had already talked about. But man, all right. So we well, not only do we have the dumb callbacks to the first movie. Because the, the 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 whole line about relationships born out of uh, um, <sighs> extreme circumstances or whatever. I like I liked this part honestly because it's like, oh, of course they didn't survive because they made this whole statement at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just silly. Well, especially because the original idea was to have the to have Annie and I keep forgetting what Keanu Reeves' character's name Jack Jack to have Annie and Jack as a married couple taking their honeymoon. And which makes sense. And honestly, which you can tell they wrote that in the script because they keep talking. They kept talking about like, congratulations, congratulations. Oh, we're not married. We're not married. Right. And also the score of this movie is all over the place. Sometimes it's it's like playing very quietly in the background. But like in scenes that should be like super intense, it's this really whimsical score. And I do not understand the tone they're going for. (laughs) Um, I also want to point out that Defoe basically plays the stereotypical like Russian German looking bad guy from action film stock. Like they did nothing to differentiate himself except for he doesn't really have an accent, but he has the look. I mean, that's also kind of Willem Defoe's look. Right. And that's fine. But the the fact that they have him do things that is stereotypically terrorist bad guy in every directive video action movie from the 90s. It just it paints it a broader picture of a bad villain. Um, His, Willem Dafoe's last name is literally the Geiger. It's so silly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just I really, really wanted to come back to this film and enjoy it because, again, I I know that I'm I am often the contrarian and often being the one that like, yeah, I actually kind of enjoy this. But I I mean, I was sitting there with uh, with with Krista, like trying to enjoy this. And and I'm lucky she felt the same way. She liked the fact that Toon Man was back because apparently he's a character in Boon, uh, not Boondock Saints, but um Pool Hall Junkies, which is one of her favorite movies. So she spotted him immediately Um, (laughs) because I didn't really notice until the boat took off and I saw the Toon Man license plate. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that guy's back. It was a fun cameo, but I just. Yeah, there's so much about this movie that we have just waltzed right over. And I just I don't. I would I would have I would have I honestly would have stop the movie if Cameron from Ferris Bueller had a cameo in this movie too. <laughs> I would have stopped it right there and said no. No more. But do you know who has a cameo? Well, not a cameo in this movie, a role in this movie. Who? The captain of the ship is a Swedish actor named Bo Svensson. 
who you may know as playing the the character of Core in the movie that I only know from the MST3K Wizards of the Lost Kingdom. <laughs> oh my god! That's why he looks so familiar. It took me I had to look it up to see. It's like, why is this dude so familiar? What's he's Core? <laughs> that that almost redeems parts of this movie. <laughs> it doesn't though. It doesn't redeem anything. But it but it it does not. Um and it's it's a bummer because I think the first movie deserves its place as one of the best action movies from the 90s. And it's a movie that often doesn't get talked about that much anymore. And, I mean, people still talk about certain action movies. From, I mean, obviously Die Hard gets talked about, especially every Christmas. And I have to hear that whole stupid argument every year. <laughs> but um, – which I personally do not care whether or not you you imagine it's a Christmas movie or not. It doesn't matter to me. Um, but But Speed, which was – one of the most celebrated action movies of the 90s just doesn't get talked about. I mean, it was talked about a lot at the time. I mean, it you- was, but also one of the main action stars of that movie went on to do much more high profile action movies because you've got the Matrix and the John Wick movies. And Keanu I mean, has had a tremendous career since that movie. If you look at a lot of his action movies, like the dude has starred in some bangers, and even his some of his duds are like, yeah, they're not bad. Like, <laughs> I mean, I really enjoy Constantine for what it is. And, you know, that's a movie I haven't seen in a long time, but I enjoyed it at the time. I don't know if I would go back. I to was actually talking about this movie. I was talking about revisiting this movie like before we started recording because uh, Krista really likes it a lot. But I mean, Reeves has definitely I get, you know, yeah, you can't talk about Keanu Reeves without talking about The Matrix or especially now that John Wick is such a massive hit. And and arguably probably my favorite of his action movies because while I love The Matrix, I still love The Matrix. The other two movies do sour some of that love for me. I hate that it happens, but it does. But yeah, I mean, it still kind of bums me out that Speed is not talked about, especially when talking about the final days of that kind of action movie, uh, especially post Die Hard. You know, you you still have speed and and I mean other movies of the era. I mean, I know Broken Arrow is popular and uh, for rentals, Cliffhanger stuff like that still came out. Um, so I definitely I definitely hope that people at least check out Speed. Just don't be tempted to check out Speed <laughs> Cruise Control <laughs> unless you live in one of the states where certain substances are legal. And readily available because I think that might make even know if that helps. (laughs) Speed two is the 2020 quarantine of movies. It hasn't been that long, but it feels like it's been forever. Okay, I was about to disagree with you, but yes, I I a hundred percent agree with you. And because I I mean I wrote to you before you watched, I was like, this movie is such a slog. And I I thought I was an hour into it. I was only thirty minutes into it. And because this movie has a lengthy time, you know, even even when you're getting towards the end of the movie, you're like, all right, I got about maybe 15 minutes left. Nope, you got 45. Now, let's see. Let's see, Miles. Uh, uh, when I was watching this movie, um, oh, da, 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 da. how is there still an hour left of this movie? <laughs> But I also loved your reaction. Like the track isn't finished <laughs> um, because this was uh, the first speed was made at a time when they were still developing some major LA highways. Uh, it, it's just not a concept that we are really 
familiar with a lot today. <laughs> I mean, I'm familiar with it a lot in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area because well, yeah, the Atlantic tons area of stuff that's as unfinished. It's just it the 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 police have a helicopter. They can look more than five miles down the road. Uh, well, don't get me started on the idea that uh, you've only got three miles left, but we have a ten minute conversation going fifty miles an hour. But. Again, these are plot. But again, these are plot holes in a movie movie plot holes that don't matter. That I don't care about in Speed. Meanwhile, in Speed Two, when oh, I will pick it to death. When Django, like a a vulture with a carcass. When Django Fett is talking to Alex and uh, Dante as they're under the ship, as if he could see exactly what they're doing and telling them exactly what they need to know right when they need to know it, that bothers me. Because in a good movie, in a fun movie, you ignore certain things because it, it's fine. But it doesn't a, matter, yeah. But, but in a horrible movie, everything sticks out. Yeah, I mean, it really, like I said, it this bums me out to not defend Speed 2. Because I was really going into this episode expecting to do it. Um, I did it with Caddyshack 2, and I'll probably do it for the other two movies we talk about. Um, which kind of surprises me uh, this this month. But yeah, Speed 2 it was probably the one I was looking forward to the most revisiting because I saw this opening night in theaters. I'm and, surprised you're not still in the theater because this movie is so long. <laughs> and, and, I, and I have not watched it since opening night in theaters. <laughs> and so I was kind of hoping maybe time had been kinder. I know it doesn't have a great reputation, but... Yeah, and and Debont hasn't directed much since then. I think he did the Tomb Raider Cradle of Life movie, and as far as his directing films go, that's, I mean, that's about it. Turns out he had a huge insurance policy on that $5 million town that got destroyed by the hurricane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was he was doing fine. He received uh, a nice paycheck. So did, so did Bullock. I mean, she she got $12 million for appearing in this movie. Um. So, yeah, that I mean, I think that wraps up speed for us. I mean, the first speed still lives up. But as as we saw with the really exorbitant spending, because if they were able to to get that that budget down to seventy five million dollars, they would have had at least a a financial hit on their hands. And they could have at least if they didn't want to walk away from this this franchise, at least at least left it open. Um, I have heard rumors, I think mostly just from casual conversation with Keanu, when Speed is brought up, he's like, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing one of those, but he's got John Wick now, so there's no point. <laughs> Keanu has whatever movie he wants to do now, so, you know. And I am so happy for him. I I love Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I, would, I would make a Keanu Reeves podcast in a heartbeat, um, because there was a time where people used to like to make fun of Keanu Reeves, and not just internet memes, but his acting and everything like that. And I have been a constant defender of this man, and I am I am beyond happy that <laughs> the world is in love with Keanu Reeves again. Yeah, um, it's, it's one of those things where he got the the Bill and Ted effect of whoa, whoa, and you know that carried him through, and he had that kind of that kind of feel when he was doing Point Break, and even a little bit in Speed, he's got the you know even though he's the the good guy, like his intonation ticks into that and but when the matrix hit his other big hit like people are like whoa i know kung fu whoa but you know the thing about keanu reeves i you hear all the jokes about his performance in that movie at the time but you also hear that he's a guy that showed up to work on time 
He did the job. He was friendly on set. Everybody liked him on set. He he gave money to the cast for a party that they weren't his supposed stunt to people. get. For the stunt people and the effects people. Like it's it's one of those things and, and he his reputation has been proven out since then, we say in 2020, until something happens that destroys his him for all of us. Fingers crossed that never happens. Doesn't seem to. Um we'll see. But uh anyway, let's move on, Miles, because we need to talk about yes. what we're doing next. Yes. So yes. we will be watching. Tron and Tron Legacy, which is going to be a little twist on things in terms of what happened. Yeah, so we've the first two four movies we've done for our franchise follies have been poorly planned sequels. Well, Tron and Tron Legacy, what happens when you have a movie that doesn't do super well but c- catches on as a cult classic and you have a sequel that does pretty well? But nothing ever happens after that. Yeah. And this also, I, I forgot to bring this up, not to go back, but Speed and Speed 2 share something with Caddyshack and Caddyshack 2 in that the first movie was rated R and the second was PG-13. Even though I, I, we were racking our brains as to why the first movie was rated R and it must have been for language. Um, it had to be for language because there were plenty of F-bombs in Speed. There, there are, okay. Okay. Um, but this one, uh, I think the first movie is PG and the second one's PG thirteen, uh, so that's not that major. But I'm, I haven't seen the first Tron in a little bit. It's probably been about since college. But I've always really, really liked that movie. I have and never seen the first Tron. I'm really excited about that, and it's been it's been since it first came out uh, that I've seen Tron Legacy. So I'm really looking forward to revisiting it. And I'm going to go ahead and say that the Tron and, and specifically Tron Legacy has aesthetically some of my favorite visuals in science fiction, period. I think some of the obviously some of the stuff is very iconic, but I just love the visuals. And especially the second one, the Daft Punk music is. Mwah. I mean, again, this is one of those things where so far in these challenges and these these things that I have challenged us to do. Good Lord, why did I do this to myself? I come off of the first part of the challenge like, yeah, and then the second part about 10 minutes in, I'm like, why did I do this? Why am I making myself do this? And I uh, well, to be fair, I think speed was my idea. <laughs> But I, I'm I'm not sure that that's going to be the case. I saw Tron Legacy in theaters, and I haven't se- seen it since then. But I remember it decently well. I liked it at the time enough. And that Daft Punk soundtrack on Tron Legacy was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So I, this is going to be an interesting franchise, Folly, to see what happened to these movies, to this franchise. Why are we not seeing more Tron with everything else that's going on. So, with that said, that's it for Speed and Speed 2 Cruise Control. If you would like to reach out to us, tell us what you think about these movies. If your wife, if you watched Caddyshack 2 because we asked you to, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm not. Email me and uh, we'll, we'll work out some compensation. Uh, you can email us, reach out to us, themoreyounerd at gmail.com. That's themoreyounerd at gmail.com. You can tweet to us at themoreyounerd. Uh, but we, until then, we will end this show as we always do with a rousing nerd out hotshot. Oh.